Listen today, we're finishing up Genesis, and I have brought in the heavy hitter for this one, okay? Uh, I brought in a great friend of mine, James Hawkins, to be with us. He, is, I failed to say this in the last gathering, he is a professional counselor with Joshua Center based out of Fayetteville. They made the long, arduous trip from Fayetteville up here to Bentonville to be with us. He and his family of six beautiful young ladies in the house, one of those being his wife, uh, and uh, Nicola, and glad to have them a part of our worship experience today. But because of the topic and because of where we're going uh, and kind of wrapping up the book of Genesis, I thought who better than to have somebody who's theologically trained but also a professional counselor to share with us of this this challenging of breaking free from past hurts and pains. So would you give James Hawkins a great Northwest Arkansas welcome as he comes to share. Thanks, brother. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Mike. It is good to be back here with you all, Grace Point, again. And uh, yet, Pastor Mike, you don't invite me to talk about easy topics. I don't know. <laughs> I, something like fun, happy, something next time, you know. But no, seriously, it is an honor because the, the topics I appreciate, it says a lot about Pastor Mike and his team and the willingness to submit to the Holy Spirit and about what he believes about you as a congregation to not shy away from hard topics that some people are afraid of. Because when we as a church are afraid to do hard conversations, we fail to disciple you appropriately to be a part of the kingdom of God. So we've got to do, like I liked how you know, one of my friends, she told her family says, God built us to do hard things. We got to do hard things. The kingdom of God sir, deserves no less. So freedom and forgiveness, that is our topic for today. And I need to get rolling because last time I ran over time and I want to do that again to you all. Uh, but freedom and forgiveness, but it is a topic I do want to enter in with is, is that it, it requires reverence. Because I do know as I talk about this topic, I know the numbers as a counselor about sexual abuse, trauma, I recognize it. I recognize that and even just the big T, what we call the big T traumas, there are times when you've been abandoned rejected or hurt. Do you know, here's a nerd thing I got to share real quick. Do you know that your brain cannot decipher the difference between you stepping on a nail or no, here's one. I'll do that. That's probably too painful. It doesn't tell the difference between like even just a punch in your gut and someone you love rejecting you. Both register as pain in your brain. Your brain treats the punch in the gut and the abandonment or rejection like the same. And what do you do when you want to get, when someone wants to punch you in the gut? You brace yourself. You close yourself off. You protect. You make sure you tried to punch me last time. I'm not going to be around you anymore. Or I'm going to be ready to punch you first. (laughs) So that way this doesn't happen. I'm going to teach you. Right? So I want to recognize that there are many pains that we all carry. And I know that some of those can come up in today's topic. I want to say that. So I, there's a part of me that likes to go slow and treat this with reverence. If that's you here today, please talk to the staff. I didn't say this last service. Let Pastor Mike know. Pastor Mike is a great pastor at knowing how to find you to help in the community. Like it was so great to sit and eat lunch, uh, dinner with him and Lori. He, he knows the counselors in the area. Like he knows us. Your pastor's like, I, like if I need to get help for my people, I want to know who I'm sending them to. And that's a great thing. I'm full a lot. Right now, we're on a mental health crisis in America, by the way. The therapists in the area do not have openings. <laughs> like, we are that full. So, but we will do what we can to make sure that you get the help if this triggers something in your story. Subtitle, not getting stuck in the, not getting stuck in the never again self-protected stance. Because here's the problem with pain. I use the example of getting punched in the gut. 
You punch me in the gut and catch me off guard and you're someone I'm supposed to trust. There's going to be a part of me that says, never again will I allow myself to be in that position to let that happen to me again. Here's the problem. If I let your punch in the gut affect me and to say, you know what? Other people will do the same thing to you, James. That really hurt James. And you need to make sure that you remain hyper vigilant and alert to never let anyone else make you feel that kind of pain. God put life in the heart of man. And part of putting life in us is protect us from bidding, from getting hurt. But the problem is, is when I say never again to pain, I also say never again to hope. I also say never again to trust. I also say never again to closeness. Because to hold up the never again of being hurt, I've always got to be hypervigilant to keep you at arm's distance. So in part of this, I want to show you this clip because it's from the movie Antoine Fisher. Sorry if you haven't seen it. I'm going to throw out all kinds of spoiler alerts. So if you want to put your fingers in your ears, I won't think you're immature right now. But it's this young boy, Antoine, he's in the Navy. And Antoine looks like he's just an angry, violent person. He's constantly in trouble, getting demoted in rank. He can't hold a relationship until finally they're like, we got to do something. And they send Antoine to a psychiatrist in the Navy who happens to be played by Denzel Washington. And even Denzel and working with Antoine, Denzel starts to break through the never again stance in Antoine's life and gets close. But even Antoine has a moment where it's like, I can't let you get close because you're going to hurt me and disappoint me just like everybody else. And then Denzel challenges Antoine, not in these exact words, but Antoine, you got some work you got to do to tear down these barriers in your heart and in your life. You got some pain you got to go deal with if you're ever going to move forward. And so what you're going to see here in this clip is Antoine has done some of the work. He's went to try and make amends, to seek amends from people who have hurt him. He has to deal with some of the demons in his own heart that have ministered to him in his pain. And Antoine has to come to a place where he learns on what to do with his pain. And so you'll see it here in this clip. You okay? Yes. Okay. Just never had a real Thanksgiving at the taste before. <laughs> you didn't have a real one over here either, I guess. Uh, you have a real nice family. Thank you. Got this for you for having me over today. I got a gift for me. Is it money? No. <laughs> That's a poem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, without my glasses. Why don't you read it for me? No, I'd rather you read it. Please. Who will cry for the little boy? Lost and all alone. Who will cry for the little boy, abandoned without his own? Who will cry for the little boy? He cried himself to sleep. Who will cry for the little boy? Who never had for keeps? Who will cry for the little boy? Who walked the burning sand? Who will cry for the little boy? The boy inside the man. Who will cry for the little boy? Who knew well hurt and pain? Who will cry for the little boy who died and died again? Who will cry for the little boy?
who will cry for them? Will you be the person that walks with someone when they're hurting? What about when you're one of the people in Antoine's story who hurt Antoine? Can you see, can you sit with Antoine in his pain and make amends, restore trust, forgiveness? And how about you? Even if no one else can dignify and put sacredness to the pain that you've experienced, can you dignify your own story and honor the pain that you've experienced? We'll talk about that in today's life of Joseph. And so some of the points that we're going to cover in today's story is when you, when you hurt someone, you need to be able to take ownership for the impact of your actions and seek to be an active participant in making amends more than protecting yourself. We're going to have to look at the life of Joseph's brothers, not just Joseph as the one who overcame it, but we sometimes are the person who offends and hurts others. And we need to know how can God help us There's freedom for forgiveness in us, too, when we seek it. Forgiveness requires an acknowledgement of the offense and its impact. And this was particularly talking about the person who was hurt or offended. You have to be able to acknowledge that it has happened. Pain demands a response. It demands to be grieved and be mourned, which is even why we do the Lord's suffering. What Jesus went through, the suffering that he suffered for us, demands to be honored and revered and acknowledged. Forgiveness requires that we remember who God is and that God still has good in mind for his children, even though people commit evil against us. Now, that's a hard one to take in. We have to acknowledge that people do evil. People who are supposed to be image bearers of God do evil things, but that does not mean that God himself is evil. Or that he sanctions evil. That he somehow conspires and does the evil. But God does know that in the world he's created, that people will fall short of the glory of God. That will impact even his children in the world. But God says, don't worry, your pain will never be wasted. That even in the midst of your pain, I still have good in mind for you. People's evil will never stop the plans of God. So we got to look at the characters in the story because sometimes we, we can identify with the different characters. Of course, well, we probably don't want to do this one, you know, but we can identify with Joseph's real easily. And we don't want to all the time because, I mean, think about what Joseph went through. Pastor Mike has built this out, thrown in a pit, sexually harassed, wrongfully accused, and forgotten in a prison even when he did good. That's a lot of trauma. Some One of those sometimes would knock us out the game. But Joseph keeps going, and we're going to see, we get to see how Joseph handled the pain. But then there's the brothers. Sometimes we are the brothers in the story. We are the ones that put people in the pit. We are the ones that lie and conspire and in our jealousy hurt other people. And then when we hurt them, we don't appropriately make amends. We still try to protect ourselves because we see the pain that we cause, and we don't like how that feels for us. So we don't know how to make amends with other people sometimes. But then there's God. Can never take God out of the story. He is the stable one in the midst of this chaotic, painful story of this family rivalry. So let's first look at the brothers in Genesis 50, beginning at verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, 
What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? They're forming a plan here. So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. It's kind of like, okay, Jacob passed. How about we're going to like hack his account and we're going to send this IM message over to Joseph to see what emojis he sends back here. Let's find out what's going on. You like that modern contextualization of the scripture there? No, really, there was no Instagram, Twitter. Just want to make sure kids in the room. No, it did not exist. Uh, but then it goes on. And it's like they're, they're, they're coming up with the message to send. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Like they're literally trying to like ask for this thing through a manipulative way through their father's identity to Joseph. Now, please forgive the sins and service of, your God, of, of, of the God of your father. When their message came to Joseph, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. Now, I don't know if they were hiding around the corner to see how this thing went down or if they had the messenger come back and say, how did Joseph respond? But all of a sudden, it's kind of like, you know, you send that text message out. Hey, how are you doing? It's kind of like, are you over it yet? Is the scene clear before I come home today? Right? That kind of thing. And then all of a sudden, then it's like they check it. But the problem here is, they never really go in a vulnerable way to make amends to Joseph for their account and their story. And as Pastor Mike has covered this, now I have to be careful with a narrative text. In, narrat- in certain narrative texts of the scripture, they don't tell us every single detail. They give us enough to expound the story, to send home the principle we need to learn about God, about ourselves, and about our role in God's world, right? But we can't see in the story, we don't see anywhere in the story, as Pastor Mike has preached it, where there's this clear indication that they all came together and talked about it. Pastor Mike talked about when they did the wrong and then when they came to Egypt and when Joseph saw them, he, he's angry, he does these different tests and trials of them. And then finally there's a day when he reveals himself to them. But even in the revealing himself, he's like, I am your brother Joseph. God has sent me here to Egypt and it's to protect your lives. Go get my father, bring him back. You're gonna be here with me. And he hugs him and he cries. But there's something I as a counselor have learned from the people that I've had the honor of sitting with. There's something missing here. You do not hear the brothers ever say, hold on a second, Joseph. We got to say something. We were jealous and we were consumed with our father's love for you. The jealousy of it and that coat. We despised you as brothers. We hated you. And we first made a plan to kill you. But then we said, no, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in a pit. Then while you're in the pit, then we see some people passing by and we decide to sell you. And we sold our brother into slavery. And while you were gone... We didn't even have enough conscience in us, Joseph, to think about you and to come look for you. We made up a story to dad and told him you were dead. We let him grieve your death as though you really were dead. And we moved on with our lives. And we are wrong for that. We're glad for where you are now, but we realize what we did had to have hurt you. And we're sorry. And we're going to go get our family. We're going to come back and be with you. But we realize we got some work here to help restore what we messed up. They just move on. And so that's why they're in the situation they're in now. 
we don't know if he still holds a grudge because we ain't talked about it. He let us off the hook and we took it. (laughs) And now dad's gone. He's been the buffer for us. So now we are not sure if we can trust that he really forgave us. So even forgiveness, the process of it is necessary even for the offender to seek it out. Not demand it, but to seek it out. Because you, even here, the offender still needs freedom. And the only way they're going to get freedom is by at least engaging in the process towards forgiveness. So, points. When you hurt someone, you need to take ownership for the impact of your actions. You catch I'm being intentional as a counselor here. I said the impact. So many times people will say, but that wasn't my intent. Your intent is not what's in judgment here. What you did had an impact, and you need to own that. Your intent does not negate the impact of your actions and your words. And you need to seek to be an active participant. Here's the part. Not only do you say, I see the impact, but I'm also here for the healing process. I'm not going to leave you alone. I did something that brought pain in your life, and I'm going to be a part of seeking restoration in that. It's not just yours to carry. It wouldn't have been here if I hadn't made the choices I made. So I'm going to be a part of making it right. And it's got to be more about them and what they're going through than about you. I even see many well-intended people in counseling with their spouse that they have hurt. And they literally, you can tell they want things to be different, but their partner can pick up on, eh, it's really about how bad you feel and not about how I feel. And that will never send a signal of safety when it's all about, oh, this makes me feel so bad. If it's only about you feeling bad and not about the other person in their pain, how can I trust that? How can I trust that? And it doesn't really feel genuine. We're not in it together. You're trying to take care of you. And the moment you get taken care of, are you just going to leave me again or hurt me or abandon me? And when you avoid this process, you will not be able to fully walk in freedom. That's the brother side. And let me make sure I say this. If you're the person, you're like, oh, I feel like I've been, there's moments I can find I'm the brothers. What I've also learned is that many times for people who offend or hurt other people or do things, they've also been the victims of hurt too. And out of our hurt, sometimes we hurt other people. And here's why the process is necessary. So we can begin to cut off some of those ways in which Satan perpetuates hurts in our lives. I need to deal with the pains of people who hurt me so I don't pass those on to my wife and to my kids. And I'll have to tell you, there's been a time in my wife where she had to say, I'm not that person because I was still living out my pain from that person on her. Wow. So many times we're in two places. We're the person who offended someone while we also can recognize how we've been offended against. So it's difficult. So I just want you to know, I have that grace and mercy. If you're that person, I get it. That's why we all need forgiveness and grace and mercy. And that's why I'm glad Pastor Mike and you all are doing this sermon. And not only doing this sermon, but you're even doing it as a church to be a church that is a healing church. What I like about you, Grace Point, I told the last service, y'all, you know, in the sports terms, you know, you got a guy who's just like a like a, just a, a guy or a lady who's just like an athlete. Like, like they're skilled, they're strong, they're fast, they're smart. You just be like, that person, 
that athlete, she's, she's built different. Grace Point, y'all are built different. Because the church right now in America is going through a time where we at times have been the people who actually offend others. And in the midst of us offending others, we didn't want to protect ourselves. And I got to say something really hard with the false presupposition that we're trying to defend Christ. Offense ain't nothing for Jesus to handle. He stood the test of times. What we're really protecting is our own shame. And then we become a place that can't be trusted by people who are hurt. The very people we're called to minister to. Shame on us. But we can, but Grace Point, we're built different. That's why we need freedom and forgiveness. So let's look at Joseph. We look at the life of Joseph, Genesis chapter 50, verse 19. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and for your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. You all, this is amazing what Joseph does here. His first response is, am I in the place of God? God does give the power of forgiveness to us, but he does not give us the power of condemnation. Catch that. He does give us, he tells us, Jesus says, you are to forgive 70 times seven. He commands us about forgiveness. You have power for forgiveness. But who are you to judge another man's servant? Who are you to take someone that God made and you try and say you can cast them into hell? You can't. So Joseph recognizes, I am not in the place of God. I need to let, like, but he doesn't do it shallowly. You meant evil towards me. He acknowledges it. You hurt me. What you meant was evil. Own your part. But in the midst of your intent for evil, somehow my good, gracious God brought good out of what you did that doesn't let you off the hook for what you did. But I can, but Joseph, this is part of that. So beautiful about Joseph's story that gives freedom. I can acknowledge the evil that was done, but the goodness of God is not wiped off from the face of the earth. That's amazing that not one, I want you to hear this. Not one tear or one bit of pain you have ever been through will ever be wasted in God's economy. Never. Never, never, never. And I'll prove it to you at the end of the sermon today. Stay, stay tuned. But what are some of the clear points here? Forgiveness requires that you acknowledge that there has been an offense that impacted your life. Joseph, I got to say this. Many good intended Christians sometimes try and skip this part. Forgive is to forget. Doesn't happen. Sorry, you can't. Just like a child that burns their hand on the stove and learns not to touch it again. They learn not to touch it again because they remember what happened. And even with forgiveness, you can still remember, but I like how Dr. Everett Worthington says it. He's a, they call him Dr. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is I forgave, and each time I remember my pain and it comes up, I choose to forgive. I choose not to hold the debt against the person that I rightfully deserve. I choose not to hold it against them to seek restitution. So, and forgiveness requires, and this is the part I love about Joseph's story, we remember who God is and that even that in, 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 who God is and that even though people did evil, God is still good. 
And it doesn't stop there. So Joseph has this moment, but sometimes what trauma and these pains do in our lives, our lives get locked and defined at that point. Instead of it being a semicolon, it, our trauma can become a period. And we see, but for Joseph, his trauma, his pain, his betrayal was a semicolon. His life continued on. God still had a story to write in Joseph's life that superseded even the pain that probably his pain was a part of helping propel Joseph to who he became. So it says, Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children, also the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's feet. Here Joseph is as a granddaddy. I had dinner with, with, with Mike and Lori, and it was great to hear them begin to talk about their growing family. Sometimes for people, their trauma did become a period, and they can't go on and enjoy life, even though God's grace is still there because they're still stuck at that moment. But then it goes on. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land. He promised an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid. And then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110, and after they embalmed him, he was placed in the coffin in Egypt. In other words, Joseph still has never lost sight of God's plan. He enjoys his family, he continues on with life, and he still remembers God has an ultimate plan for the children of Israel, and yea, you brothers, I still need your cooperation. Here we go in a way, it's at this last hour when I die, still don't abandon me. Don't abandon me. He's still reaching out to his brothers. I still need you for something. So here we go. Joseph's process of forgiveness was not all perfect. Pastor Mike made that clear. He did some things and like still was angry, still working out some of that anger. But he did get to a place he could acknowledge their evil directly with them and remember the role of God in his life. That's what healing, the journey of healing looks like. It's not always pretty, but it's a process. And Joseph could take in the goodness of God even after a life filled with betrayal and hurt. If anyone has a reason to be bitter and not trust people, because he was not only betrayed by them, he was betrayed by the people who bought him out of the pit, betrayed by Potiphar and his wife, betrayed in the jail, but yet and still he keeps trusting God somehow and reaching out to other people, even the people who hurt him to be a part of his life. And not only he just says, I'm just not forgiving you and I'm going to be cold towards you and treat you different. He says, no, I'm going to take care of you and your children. He has power to hurt them. Remember what did Pastor Mike tell you? He's second. He, he would have been in the second chariot behind Pharaoh. He could have crushed them. How about you when you're the person offended and you have power? What will you do with it? That tells you something about where you're in your journey of forgiveness. Would you crush your enemy? Or would you, would you provide for them and for their children? And the key to it was, it wasn't because he was trusting in people and them being good and them getting it right and them never hurting him again. He found freedom and forgiveness and trusting God because he was trusting God's goodness while living in a world where there is also evil. We have to be able to acknowledge that both exist. God is good, people do evil. God is good, people do evil. And the people who do evil, they need more of God's good. 
All right, so here's what I'm going to do, a few closing counselor stuff just to make sure we're clear. Because you might be that person and you've never had someone put words to what you experience. And that's what I find sometimes in counseling. People go through things and they never get language to understand their experience. So in this closing out moments, it's just to help you have some words for maybe understanding your experience and what is trauma, what is healing, what is forgiveness, what's the process. Can I share that with you real quick? I won't bill you for Blue Cross Blue Shield for this at all, but... (laughs) But trauma is an event that overwhelms your being, whether it's cognitively, emotionally, physically. It just overwhelms you. It's not just you went through a hard time, but literally when we think about traumatic events, these are events that literally overwhelm the human soul and capacity. And it can create a paralyzing, fearful, terrifying um, experience that leaves you kind of stuck. Or fragmented is what we kind of call it, where you can't make sense of your emotions, you can't make sense of your thoughts, you can't make sense of relationships. It's disorienting. It makes you see yourself and the world differently, and you begin to make these underlying vows of never again. Never again will I love myself to be in a situation like that. That was too much. Forgiveness. When we think about the term forgiveness, it can be, this is one of my favorite verses when I think about it. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Many of the verses in scripture will always, when it talks about us forgiving, it points us back to the forgiveness we receive. Comfort others with the same comfort you've been comforted with. Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Then you see Stephen being stoned wrongfully after giving an appropriate testimony before, this, before the council. But when they stone him, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what to do. He went back to the model and template of forgiveness that he saw in Jesus. So we need to remember how we've been forgiven in order to be able to forgive others. Because was there anything about you that was deserving to make God forgive you for your sins? No. It was because of the penalty. You accepted what Jesus did. You had to acknowledge your sin and accept what Jesus did in place of your sin. There was nothing exceptionally worthy about you. And so how are you going to make someone else do something for forgiveness that you never did for your eternal forgiveness? Acknowledgement of the offense is there's an acknowledgement of the offense and a releasing of the debt for the offense. You turn them over to God. Now, this is not that Christian. I'm going to turn you over to God because God, you're going to strike them. But literally is I'm not in the place of God. I don't know what God's going to do with you in this situation, but I release myself from trying to control the outcome of what God needs to do with you with that over there. But I do know that, that that's something I, I release. And then, even like Stephen, but I will intercede for you. God, I do pray that you could give them forgiveness. I pray you could give them healing so that way they don't perpetuate that and keep doing that. But I'm not going to keep seeking retribution against you. And so that can be done one person. I can forgive you. And the other part, person might never take responsibility. But that doesn't mean we move forward with trust. Forgiveness and trust are two different things. I hear that sometimes, you know, from people. I heard one of my wise counselor friends, you know, a husband kept saying, like, she's supposed to forgive me. She's supposed to forgive me. And he just, like, kind of was, like, struggling. He was like, yeah, she can forgive you, and you're right, but that doesn't mean she has to trust you. You have to earn that part. So, but let's talk about healing. I want to make sure we catch what healing is here. Healing from trauma is a process of reorienting your thoughts and what you do with your emotions after you've been hurt. Remember, this trauma came in, and sometimes we go into these protective moves to not be hurt again. But sometimes that never again stands, just like little Antoine was fighting and angry. It was because he had been hurt, and he wants to never be hurt again. 
his healing required, I've got to go back and see what this did to my mind, what this did to my heart, how it changed the way I see myself, how I began to see other people. And now this was not a Christian movie, but also how I see God. One of my best friends, Dr. Derek Brown, who's the executive director for Arkansas Baptist Children's Homes and Family Ministries, he did his whole dissertation on how do, how do unresolved negative emotions impact one's view of God? And this was a research study he did with nothing but what they, you had to meet the term, you had to meet the criteria for being an evangelical believer who believes in the salvation of Jesus Christ, that he died, was buried, was raised, and that he saves you. Because he didn't want just any random person filling it out. But even for people who know that Christ died for their sins and they can receive forgiveness, when they did not process their emotions, the negative emotions that they had because of different things in their life, it reshaped how they even view God himself. You gotta deal with your stuff. As one of my friends, he would tell me, James, you gotta always finish your work. When you've been hurt, don't pack it up and move on. Finish it, repackage it so that way Satan can't use it against you or against other people. Because if one person hurts me, I can then generalize it to so many people, whether that's based upon age, race, gender, socioeconomic status, political affiliation. Those people, one person like those people hurt me, and therefore I code it in my brain to not trust that group, but that's a protective mechanism. And we have to make sure that we don't give Satan those footholds. Then that moves on to the process. What does trust and reconciliation mean? I think part of when we think about trust is being able to move on from that never again stance. It's a restorative process. This is where it's different. Forgiveness, one side, trust and reconciliation. It takes both parties being involved to do this. An acknowledgement of the pain, we'll talk about that. But what, we, but what it needs is these three things that a, one of my mentors taught me. She says it needs to have A-R-E. I need to know, are you there for me? And when she says A-R-E, she means I need to know that you're accessible, that when I need to talk about this hurt, you'll be accessible. I can reach out to you and I can make contact with you. And not only can I make contact with you, but you'll be responsive to me. You'll actually take the call. You'll actually set up the meeting. You'll actually sit down and have the conversation. But not only that you're there physically present, I also need you emotionally engaged with me. In other words, as the Bible would say, you can mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice. I need you to be emotionally engaged with what I'm going through and not just what you're feeling. Your shame and your guilt can't keep you away from my pain and my hurt or else we'll never be able to have restore trust. And so this is, if you want to learn more about this, if you're a couple, this is great stuff in this book, Created for Connection. And then chapter six, I think it was six or five, is where she talks about, this, she, she calls it this, he, this uh, six-step process to forgiveness. And I'm going to call it really, I say it's a way of healing broken trust. And this is really important. And I'm going to read these to you. We can't go into them all because of time. But I want to share that there's a really a process to this so you can understand it. First is, the one who is hurt needs to be able to openly and clearly speak their hurt. For there to be trust, you, for you, when you've been hurt, to be able to reestablish trust, you've actually got to be able to access the pain of what you felt. So that way you can clearly share it with the person who hurt you. So they can see the impact of their action. When you hide your pain, you're also blocking their ability to comfort you and respond to you. But then that moves into number two. When that person shares that pain, then you can't allow your shame, your guilt to move you away. You have to stay engaged with them. You need to stay emotionally present and acknowledge the wound that you're getting to see opened up in front of you. 
And if you can do one and two, you're doing great. Many times, this is why we get stuck in society, whether it's politically, racial reconciliation, any topic, is because we don't do one and two. Somebody opens and share their pain, and we just shut it down. And we wonder why we never move on, because we don't do steps one and two. Because then what happens if we can do steps one and two, it allows us to go to three. We can both work together to revise a never again stance. And that's a process that's going to be messy. And then even when we're doing that, still, number four, that person who injured the person, they still move to keep taking ownership for their part in the story. Like we see this even in Germany. The Germans are really good about making sure, like, we need to remember what we did to the Jewish people so we never do it again. We as a nation allowed this to happen on our watch. Never again. We will remember. Because never again should we hurt people like that again. Then it moves on to number five. They can be able to have what they call those ARE conversations still. Even as you reprocess a story, sometimes as you talk about someone's pain, more of the pain keeps coming out. Different layers of it comes out. And sometimes the person might start talking about a pain that was inflicted by someone else that was similar to what you did to them. And guess what you get? You can either say, uh-uh, that wasn't my stuff, not me. Nope, wrap that one back up, save that one for them. I'll send you to their house at Thanksgiving. Or you can say... I get it. My pain is also linked to these other events. And God's given me an opportunity to not only make restitution for me, but to help you for even deeper healing in your life. I have an opportunity to help change a moment for you and for others in this moment. Then number six, both work together still again at creating a new redemptive story that captures the injury and how it happened. But most important is that the story shows, this is a part we've, that many times we don't get to in relationships and as communities, is that the story shows that we confronted it together and we can show tangible, actual moments that we united against that same pain together. Because here's a few things about pain that I got to say before I go. Pain must be acknowledged by the person who experienced it and the person who inflicted it. Pain has to be acknowledged. Pain actually is an opportunity that God creates. Like, Because you do understand that the idea of pain was not something that was just given to us after the fall. Emotions were there before the fall. I believe emotions are the ways in which God helps us to connect with ourselves and with others. When we are not, when we're emotionally blank, we can't connect well. But when we show emotion, it draws people into our world to celebrate with them, to grieve with them. The Bible wouldn't say mourn with those who mourn and celebrate with those who celebrate or rejoice with those who rejoice if he didn't want us to feel. Our feelings become an opportunity for connection. Pain must be explored for the impact and the messages in it. Pain must be shared. You, if you think about a moment in your life when you went through suffering and you were alone, It wasn't just the pain, but the fact that you had to face it alone that becomes overwhelming for us as people. Pain must be responded to with express compassion. Like Jesus with the leper. Jesus, if you will, you can make me whole. And in Mark 1, it says that he was moved with compassion towards the leper's pain. And it takes multiple rounds of this process. You can't just say, I'm sorry, one time and just expect pain to go away. But you know what you get to say? You know what? 70 times 7. If, you, if that pain keeps coming up, I'll respond. And you know what? I'll respond because it wouldn't be here in the first place if I hadn't made the choices I made. So I will see it through with you because I love you. I care about you. And we're a part of each other. And I want you to know, church, 
that God is not ambivalent to your pain either. We do not serve a Savior who cannot in every way identify with the ways in which we suffer. But I want you to know, this is something I believe, and sorry, Pastor Mike, if I'm getting this wrong, but I believe God himself is waiting in heaven saying, I am waiting for the day to finally put pain to rest. That the suffering of my people, you think I don't see it, devil. My child, you might think I don't see it, but I am literally in heaven. Like I remember times like if my girls get hurt and they cry and I literally, I want to go across the room and I'm like, no, no, no. Like I want to get to you. And if you try to hurt one of my daughters and you let me not get there, I will go through you, over you and whatever it takes to get to my child who's in pain. And I literally believe that's how our father in heaven is. He's like, I see what you're suffering and I'm coming. I'm going to blow a horn and I'm coming. And I'm going to hold you, I'm going to meet you, and I'm going to restore everything that was done to you, and I'm going to make it right. And for everything that that Satan, that he got away when he did it to you, I'm going to be the one that comforts you. And you say, prove it, James. Revelations chapter 1. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Can you take this in for a moment? It says, he who God will wipe away the tears from the eyes. Can you picture God walking down the aisle, picking up the Kleenex box and saying, my son, I saw what you went through. My daughter, I saw what you went through. And I am going to sit down and put my arm around you and wipe the tears from your eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Because guess what? The work of Christ has restored things back to order. Shalom has been brought back to earth. And the older things will be passed away. God, we thank you so much. And we look forward with that expectant hope. That God, you yourself, will wipe away the tears from our eyes. But even while we wait for that day, we've got a process right now. We need to find freedom and forgiveness now. We need to be able to say we are not in the place of God. God, we need you to see the pain that we've been through. And God, there might be the person in here that's hurt someone and they see that person's face and they need to go to that person and say, you know what? I need to leave my gift at the altar. I hurt you and I need to seek to make right with you. You might be the person that's been hurt and you need to sit and honor the pain that you went through and put words to it and honor it and grieve it. And you might need to say, God... Is it safe to go to these people to seek, to, to seek some type of amends with that person? God, I trust that your Holy Spirit will begin to meet your people right here, right now, to do a healing work at Grace Point and all of their lives, wherever you find them. We thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.